Hello everyone, and welcome to Penny Tolerable, where large adults talk about stuff. I'm Jeremy Ellis, and this is my friend... What's your name? Hello, this is me, Jesse Marine, and I'm here to talk about things, and I'm an adult with a Boba Fett figure right beside me. <laughs> yeah, for listeners, um, Nathaniel's been swamped with work, and uh, he's just been very busy, so uh, you might see a little bit more of Jesse, or might hear a little bit more of Jesse in future episodes. We'll see what happens. Um, but I let Jesse choose the uh, topic, and what did we choose? We chose to talk about the live-action Star Wars stuff, courtesy of Disney, with yep. The Mandalorian Season 3 right around the corner. Yes. So I guess it all starts out with The Force Awakens. Right? Indeed, yeah. It started off in, uh, what, 2015 with The Force Awakens. And how did you feel about... Did you, did you go, like, in the... In those first opening weeks, I did. Um, I felt you know, I liked it. I uh, I had my initial problems with it, but you know, if you're gonna bring back Star Wars, that is the way to do it. Is the way they did it, like. Um, that there are some things that kind of bump with me, like, uh, some of the, basically calling it Whedon speak, like, the banter is a little, like, okay, keep it in your pants type stuff, um, mm -hmm. and it's, you know, you... It's nice, but it's almost melancholic to see, um, Carrie and Harrison and Mark go back to these characters, because, I mean, it's, you know, it's cool that they embrace these, uh, characters who brought them so much, um, attention and, you know, uh, money and stuff, but it, throughout the three of them, it all kind of seems like they're a little tired of going to that well, but, of course, that crosses over into the next two, but going for Force Awakens, um, I think it's, I think it's good, I think they hit the right notes with, uh, uh, um, Han, why can't I think of his name, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, uh, if you're Lando, yeah, but, just, the stuff I liked was, uh, just his, 
his lingering indifference that has never gone away. Just the, th- mm-hmm. the thing of, like, when he sees the Death Star and they show it compared to the Starkiller base and he goes, so it's big, we can still take it down. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a very, that, that is a very Han thing to say. Yeah, no, I, I think so much of the, of Harrison Ford's demeanor bleeds over in Force Awakens, and it's really amusing to see that. Um, for me, I get what you're saying, just about the whole melancholic aspect of seeing all these stars back together, and yeah, we get that initial dopamine rush of seeing Luke, seeing Leia, seeing Han, seeing Chewbacca, seeing the, you know, all the familiar beats. And for me, I think that the melancholy came a little later. Um, for this one, it felt like a bit of return to form. You know, we're, we're famously fans of riff tracks, and we know how much Mike Nelson loves pod racing yeah. and things like that. Um, and while, you know, I fully appreciate that George Lucas offered his vision and was allowed to bring his vision to life in a way that, uh, with the sort of creative freedom that, Frankly, no one would receive uh, shy mm-hmm. of a billion-dollar filmmaker. Um, yeah. there, there's there's definitely parts that were off-putting for for people, um, whether it's Yoda bouncing around like like a, a jumping bean or <laughs> or mm-hmm. other elements, you know, an asthmatic uh, cyborg with four lightsabers. Um, yeah. So it's it's. It, it's understandable why they'd want to go to such a simple return to form. Okay, you know, some people mm-hmm. that are really uh, derisive towards the movie have called it, you know, a reskinned New Hope. And I, I feel like kind of undermines it because there is that new energy. There is that kind of quippiness that you cited. Um, there's also, I don't know, there, there seems to be a new dynamic that's forming in, in this first movie that it really just feels like it can go anywhere um, in the sequels. Um, where it goes is ultimately very finite, but uh, the way Force Awakens left us, it feels like the story could go anywhere, and it just opens up possibilities. Mm-hmm. The, the, one of the things I uh, noticed that you can't really go back to for several reasons was there's a look to Star Wars in a sound to Star Wars. The look to Star Wars is, of course, the late, great Ralph McQuarrie, you know, who designed all these characters and, you know, what they should look like, what the environments and weapons should look like. And, you know, he's left this world, so you kind of have to ape him as much as you can to get true Star Wars. And, uh, the thing about the, the dialogue in, uh, the Star Wars movies is, it's so idiosyncratic. Like, you, you get the feeling that George Lucas, if they had autism testing back then he would have been on the spectrum like you you can you can tell kind of his 
you can tell when he's writing it. When he's like, because some of the stuff is, it's inconsistent, but it's inconsistent in, in kind of a poetic way. Mm-hmm. Like it, you go along with it, even though it's like, wait a minute, like, Han just says, see you in hell. Do they have hell in this part of space? And it's just stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I think keeping the the Ralph McQuarrie look was a good idea. Um, but, yeah, you can't really capture in a bottle the Lucas dialogue. Yeah. Um, I think the only person to have come close, and my partner and I actually discussed it um, when we were watching uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Old, uh, that he, he's one of those people who has that sort of dialogue. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that movie, more than any M. Night Shyamalan outing, really, that I've seen, um, really showcases, you know. My, my friends just said this was written by a robot, and I was like, no, this this seems like it was written by someone who's who's on the spectrum, and I, I really I really did feel that um, you know the, the, there's a sort of poetic, but also kind of alien element to it. Like, um, and I, I feel that's what fit the aesthetic of Star Wars so well. Um, where yeah, you'll you'll get these these random see you in hell lines. You'll get um, you know. I, I think one of the popular lines is, you know, the whole, I love you, I know. Uh, well, that's just uh, a good line. That, yeah. It's the flat Definitely. out a good line. But then, you know, oh, I gotta go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. And, you know, it, it just, it's just the idiosyncratic nature of that dialogue that they all come, all those lines come from the same person. And, I, I feel I, I do feel what, what you mean where that I may be lost in the in the sequels because it's more quippy uh, uh, your standard Disney style now uh, dialogue mm-hmm. um, but I, I feel there's there's enough of that in that in the first outing with force awakens and then Ralph McQuarrie, well they definitely ape on him uh, come episode nine mm-hmm yeah, the it's interesting because for a while I was so, and this happens to me with a lot of uh, intellectual properties that I used to like or like but don't express much. Um, There's the ability for part of the fandom to kind of sour the experience of liking something. Like, I, I, I dig, you know, here in El Paso we have the Mandalorian Mercs every year at the uh, El Paso Comic Con. And that's cool. That's neat. I like that. But... When you have, um, like, very ill-tempered, ill-mannered people on YouTube, or in chats, you know, 
saying how, you know, it's stupid to have a black stormtrooper, or it's, you know, Max Landis got in trouble for, Max Landis got in trouble for a lot of things, but he got in trouble for calling, uh, uh, Ray and Mary Sue, which she is a bit, like, I'm not gonna say that there's not a truth to that, but, like, you know, the, it, it, typing in, like, Star Wars on your, uh, on a YouTube page, you know, you're, you're gonna find more bile spewing than, like, hey, you know who I thought was cool? You know who was really neat? Like, I'd rather see those videos, but, you know, the majority, there's, it's in, you know, the, the fandom menaces that were called those unsavory individuals. Uh, that I'm not even going to go into them. I just, they just don't. And that puts a damper on things so much. Um, yeah. Because, you know, the, that, that fandom menace somehow returned. Um, with the riot, with the, the upcoming Disney projects, and still, still there, um, and, and it's really disheartening to see that when, when you know, there are actual people attached. You know, it was really bad with Phantom Menace. Um, I, I hesitate to say it was better uh, with uh, the Disney Star Wars, uh, but it was just so widespread. You know, you've got people just blasting directors like Ryan Johnson. You've got people blast, uh, in those early days uh, prior yeah. to uh, the film's release. Uh, they had people yeah. blasting uh, uh, John Boyega's Finn. They had, and then people uh, bullied uh, uh, Kelly Marie Tran. Um, and, you know, it's, it's an uncomfortable truth that, that we really need to, need to face here, you know. I, as much as I'd love to talk about, you know, uh, how my thoughts on Last Jedi. We can't go into that without talking about the elephant in the room, which was just all the ugliness that surrounded uh, Star Wars fandom as, as these movies came out. I think the ugliness for the prequels was more pronounced because things were more focused back then. You know, we didn't have a 24-hour news cycle, so news and reactions were more focused. And that leads to, like, Jake Lloyd having a nervous breakdown when he got older, or Ahmed Best almost committing suicide. Like, he, he talks about it, and it's not like, I planned to, to jump off the bridge. Like, I was, I was on the ledge, and, like, hanging on, like, it's, it's really scary stuff to, to think, <clears throat> and, you know, I'm, I'm glad that Mark Hamill said this, he said, I will never forgive what some of the fans did to Jake and Ahmed, and he, that's good for you, because you shouldn't forgive a person for stuff like that, 
but you know, on an on an up note, you can criticize Star Wars without becoming a chud. Like you, you can do that. This is that's that's what we plan to do here. Like talk about it, what we like, what we don't like. Um and with the new hope with uh uh, Force Awakens, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you see, you see right there, I'm, like, making the comparisons, but, uh, but with Force Awakens, it's, yeah, it's a neat little thing, it's that neat little kind of king-size chocolate bar of a movie that you get every so often, and... Um, I think a lot of the characters are good. They, something I'm glad that they didn't do was just make analogs. Like, Mm -hmm. you could make the argument that Rey is Luke and and Poe is Han. But that's that's already a, kind of a rickety argument to get into. Like there there's so much there's so much not like them. Mm-hmm. There is. But I dug the new characters. You know, I think it's neat that so many of these people got big. You know. I remember watching a, uh, I remember watching a British sitcom that I really like called Toast of London, and, uh, the B plot is that, he, uh, the actor, it's about an actor named Toast, and he, uh, he's doing the most controversial offensive play in London, and his, uh, theater manager, she only has a few lines, but she's played by Daisy Ridley. And apparently it, she filmed those scenes, like, the week she tried out for Star Wars. So it's like, that's a hell of a step, you know. That, that's pretty cool. And you've got established actors, like, uh... Oscar Isaac and Gwendolyn Christie uh, being in these, which I I think is cool. Like, it's, you can very much feel the celebrity nerd Venn diagram kind of closing in on itself. Like, you can tell these people were like, oh, I'll be whatever. Just let me be in this. You know, that seems neat. That's especially funny considering Daniel Craig's in a stormtrooper bucket that's unrecognizable unless you know the behind the scenes trivia. Yeah. Isn't is he the one that goes, I'll make them tighter? I will tighten the restraints. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's him. That's that's our double O seven there. Uh, Benoit Blanc. Which may be a fitting transition a little later. 
But uh, um, back to Ryan Johnson. Huh? Back to Ryan Johnson. Uh huh. So closing thoughts on Force Awakens. It really felt like a good return to form. A bit of a palate cleanser from what had come before, where people thought maybe this isn't the Star Wars I like. Even if you're not being toxic about it, like some of the, like some of the Phantom Menace, really. Um, um, you know, the, the, these films weren't too critically well received, uh, um, apart from special effects. So this felt like the mm-hmm. Star Wars that people had grown up with, and. You know, there are a lot of tropes that are in play, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's, you know, everything has tropes. Uh, like, you know, like you mentioned the Mary Sue, uh, Ray, we, we, you can make a strong argument for Anakin or Luke falling into similar roles. Um, but ultimately, it's still a good, uh, a good start to a story where, you know, maybe, maybe something different will happen. Maybe something, uh, um, I'm really trying to transition to Last Jedi, <laughs> uh, where maybe we'll we'll get something uh, a little different with the next outing. Yeah, in the next outing, we get uh, we get some new faces. We get uh, Kilmery Tran as Rose Tico. And, uh, I like her. I like this, you know, spunky, oh boy, we're gonna get the, that empire and we're gonna, you know. I can take on the empire myself. Yeah. Well, okay, we got it, we got it. Episode 5 analog there. <laughs> um, I, I forget, was that Dak? I think so. He can take on the whole empire himself. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I like that. Um, for me, I'm not going to pretend otherwise, um, but I, I will start off with a compliment that Star Wars had never looked this good. This is by far mm-hmm. the best looking Star Wars of them all. But, and here's the huge but. Um, I also feel this is where Disney's approach kind of fell apart uh, because I think what was happening was, uh, and, you know, this is all conjectural, but um, I feel J.J. Abrams had a, a certain vision that kind of harkened to the past while moving forward, where, mm-hmm. whereas Ryan Johnson wanted to do something that subverted expectations. And uh, for me, that's <coughs> where the whole pass-the-baton approach of the Disney movies kind of fell apart. I'm not saying this is a bad movie, yeah. but I am saying this is where the trilogy falls apart. So, whether you love this movie, hate it, I feel this is where the cohesion of between this movie, uh, Force Awakens, and uh, um, Rise of Skywalker just falls flat. Yeah, the the thing about that, the it feels like a different series like it feels and i'm gonna get shit from people but it feels more grown up than uh than the what we see in star wars you know we have 
a talk about, you know, arms dealing with Canto Bite and that, all that stuff. We talk about, uh, you know, succession of leadership. Uh, we talked about, you know, insubordination. Uh, and it's a pretty good sized movie. And there are things that I love, love that I love about it. I think it's one of my favorite Star Wars movies. And some of the things that make it that are first off, Luke. What they do with Luke, I love. Because basically what they're doing, and this is this is really in keeping with, you know, well, what are what is this? Uh well, it's a sci-fi but it's also a serial, but it's also a western, but it's also a samurai. And that becomes really apparent when you look at uh, Luke. Or, yeah, Luke. Because he has become the grouchy, grumpy Saifu from every kung fu movie you've ever watched. Like, he even does the kind of chest scratch thing that, like, all, all the, they all did. And he, I, I love seeing that because I love those types of movies. And it seems like Luke would become that, like, you know, he, people say, like, oh, he wasn't always, you know, sunshine lollipops. Like, not really. Like, by the time... Jedi rolls around, he's like this super efficient warrior. So I think that's a logical choice for him. We've got Han and uh, we have Leia in this, don't we? Well, uh, Han's already good now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we have Leia. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think um, that's that's an interesting thing to talk about, just uh, the evolution of the characters. Han is implied to be a character who never really evolved past uh, uh, past who he was in the in the first outing. And I think that that was a frustration of Harrison Ford, uh, just that this character is a there's a very static one. Um. Mm. So I, I thought that felt like it was true to form. Um, Leia um, also, in some ways, remains a, a little static, but you know, continuing the fight against the Empire uh, with Luke, they they allowed him to be uh, dynamic um, to to have that growth. Uh, for me, um, I'm not going to pretend like this would be my ideal Luke. Uh, I want to see you know the guy you know. <laughs> going back to Dad, take on the Empire all, all by himself, but um, it did feel like it's more in line with the more thoughtful Star Wars. But here we have this disillusioned uh, person who sees, who just sees the faults in the Jedi, who sees more critically what was happened. The Jedi allowed, allowed Palpatine to rise. They allowed for the Empire. 
And, you know, I, I can respect where, where he's coming from. And I can also respect that Ryan Johnson's whole conceit is that he, he wants to talk about that, that this is not the, this is not the way, <laughs> this is not a, um, uh, what the Jedi do stand for. And he has Luke realize that. So Luke goes on his own character journey to realize what good they may have on the universe, what good they may have in terms of saving saving others and not just wallowing in that sadness, you know, that return to form when you see that old Sifu uh, restored to their former glory for one last last outing. Mm-hmm. Um, having had their confidence restored by their, their new their, their new pupil. So I, I do like that, that that was the arc present. And, you know, there are a lot of choices that I really uh, like in, in concept with Last Jedi. It's a, it's a movie I have mixed feelings about. But overall, I think my mixed feelings come from the fact of what's surrounded with, with Force Awakens and uh, Rise of Skywalker. I don't think I'd feel that way if this had been the vision for uh, Star Wars moving forward. Again, you know, my enjoyment of this movie was hindered by toxicity of fans, but I kept on to the feeling of like, well, I like this movie, so, you know, go to hell, you know. There's always that. But, uh... You know, there are so many departures that we have. Like, uh... Some of the interesting things is... Star Wars, before, like... They didn't even do it that much with uh, the prequels, but, like... Uh, cameos like the they're the guy that's they're supposed to meet in the Canto Bike Casino is uh Justin Thoreau and the lockpick guy is Benicio del Toro who mm-hmm. is a turncoat and I think it. Again, it's another thing of like, please let me be in this. Please let me be in this. Please let me be in this. And uh, I think that's kind of cute. Um, I like the battle. I love. Um, I love uh, Kylo Ren's. Very childish feud with Hawks. Like that just that just makes me laugh. It's just these the two fucking childish men in the world bickering at each other. Definitely. And great. Uh, the you know, I feel that's one of the more consistent elements. They're delighted throughout the trilogy just seeing them try and one-up one another. Mm-hmm. It's... And I like how it brought about the idea of... I, I call it Jedi Zoom or Force Skyping, which is mm-hmm. 
they can talk to each other like it's it's like you know telepathy, but it goes across planet wide gaps, and that was something that I liked. Um, something that I thought was interesting was uh, um, Finn wanting to leave. Like, I like that there's a character who is like, n no, like, I, I I spent my life fighting this war. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Get me out of here. And I think that's kind of an interesting character to do, too. And you have the, the cool cliffhanger of all the little kids playing, and then the kid goes out, and he just... Force summons the uh, room and starts sweeping up, and you're like, "Oh man, this, oh, what's this gonna build to?" And uh, they said like, there there were so many fan theories of like what the ending will be, like what uh, what Rise of Skywalker would be, and I thought it would be something. To the tune of, um, I had a fan theory of like, what if of a bunch of these, at least all, at least nearly all of these characters die, but uh, these new. Uh... These new force users. Yeah, like every these nobodies. Not just not just the kids, but like everyone fighting for the resistance. It like gains like force power, or something like the like the just the spirit of the Jedi flows throughout the universe and like passes through. Just anyone fighting for the rebellion, and like you just see a bunch of these characters like just force throwing stuff around, and you know blind fighting and stuff like that, and like doing the super jumps. Like I thought it was gonna be that. I, I that's that's like what I mapped out in my mind. But what you get is quite frankly a mess. Like, I, 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 I was really disappointed by Rise of Skywalker. That was, uh, I mean, there, there's, like, some cool stuff. Again, there's the weird Cyclops monkey that fixes Kylo Ren's mask. Like, just that weird little design. Um, yeah. There's Babu Frick. Who's just hey? Let's not forget the most, the greatest member of the resistance, Claude. <laughs> my partner is echoing my sentiments uh, over over behind me. <laughs> I just I love Bobby um, Frank, but and like the way the lightsaber play goes is very interesting. And 
I just really like that. And I'm not going to say I didn't get that, you know, big Star Wars feeling when at the end you hear all the Jedi. Mm -hmm. Like all the actors who will play Jedis. Like that's neat. Mm -hmm. But aside from that, it really is just like, like, what should we do in this movie? Like, don't do what a Star Wars movie should do. Do what the Star Wars movie needs to do. Mm-hmm. Like, it's more important for these characters to grow than just, like, hey, here's the last one, which is just kind of tying up these sons. I feel like I want to go back to happier times and talk about a few la- a few last things that I loved in Last Jedi uh, before we delve into this. Um, you're talking about the more mature Star Wars. Um, mm-hmm. I, I did like that, you know, uh, uh, Benicio Del Toro's uh, DJ character is, is kind of explaining to, uh, to uh, uh, Rose and Finn just how, you know, more profiteering works at this time. And, you know, I felt like that was a good audience surrogate where, you know, you could have those younger audiences, you know, they could be the Finn and Rose and, you know, kind of understand that the whole galactic war is, or the concept of war in general is a lot deeper than, than you can imagine in terms of like, it's not so black and white, you know, as the Star Wars movies are very keen to put things in. And I like that uh, approach. Um, I did feel that kind of came at the expense of the characters, just, you know, having them being relegated to that role. But it's still it's still a good concept, and I can see why the surrogate would be would probably be helpful. Um, I love the lightsaber duel um, in that it's not actually, you know, Jedi versus Sith, but uh, the two of them fighting together and That's arguably the-, the best lightsaber fight Yes, Maybe best, of the light, best lightsaber fight in the series, I will say. Uh-huh. Just the, the gorgeous red hues all on fire, and they're fighting alongside each other. That was wonderful, um, and that's I feel is the only one that doesn't that doesn't play into that. Oh, good versus evil. No, we're <laughs> playing into the shades of gray there that emerge, and then lastly. Um, and this will be the nice transition to Rise of Skywalker. I love the idea that Ray was a nobody. Because yeah. that meant anybody could be a Jedi. And I felt that was true to to the roots of A New Hope, where, you know, this kid from a backwater planet turns out to be the savior of the galaxy. Um, mm-hmm. And I felt that that, that that was true to that spirit. Yeah. And then we have Rise of Skywalker. Where Emperor Palpatine has returned somehow. 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 Palpatine has returned. I don't know. I don't uh, fucking know how, but he did. My, my, my partner and I were talking about actors who wear their heart on their sleeve, where you can tell when they're very happy with the role. Like, let's say, you know, Ben Affleck... Uh, uh, as Batman, I think is a as a character who really wears his heart on his sleeve. Where mm-hmm. it's like he seems very, very in command when Zack Snyder's at the helm, and then when Joss Whedon, you can tell just how 
dismal the experience is. Yeah. Oscar Isaac felt like that throughout the trilogy. He seems like this excited, enthusiastic boy uh, when he's uh, when he's in Force Awakens. He seems like a little more a little more weary when uh, Last Jedi comes around. Whether that's because of his arc or uh, whether that was his own feelings, I, I'm not too sure. But um, I, I see that. And then by Rise of Skywalker, he just says that line as if. Every ounce of his soul has been crushed. Somehow, Palpatine has returned. And there's just... There's just so much going on in that movie. Like, you have... You know... The the droid friends who keep getting smaller. Because we have, like, R2, then BB-8... Then, uh, Dio, who is, dude, you just did that so you can have a voice in the movie, so you can play someone in the movie, and, I don't know, that, that seemed like a childish decision, um, you know, it, it ends with such a whimper. It's an ending that has such a whimper to it, but, yeah, it's, I can understand why people may have really fallen off at this point, because it's like, it's my, the old joke I make with my brother, like, well, we see in, uh, we see in, um, Last Jedi. Oh, they have big plans for the series. What were their plans? Oh, nothing? Okay. <laughs> that seems to be what it was. Uh, for me, uh, you know, there, there's, this, there's the Spanish saying, what starts off wrong ends wrong. Mm-hmm. And this movie, when I heard the dead speak, you know, that, that opening crawl, everything in my brain was going going off in red flags that this is this is not going to be the uh, uh, a satisfying conclusion to the series um, and then uh, you know you find out that this this vital scene that Palpatine's called out to the universe uh, was was relegated to a fortnight events <laughs> and left off screen as uh, just yeah. uh, a baffling choice. Um, I know we had a history of tie-ins throughout the entire existence of Star Wars, whether it's the holiday special introducing Boba Fett, yeah. uh, the Clone Wars cartoon introducing Grievous, and setting up Episode 3. Uh, but this somehow just felt so, so shallow when I found out about it that you have to you know, play a game for just two minutes of content that could easily have been part of the of the story and no we didn't get that um uh one of the dumbest conceits from this is that not only do we find out hours exist but they have a 24-hour time limit to do all this and i don't know where they pull that number out of um i my suspension of disbelief has been shaken that all of this happens in the span of 24 hours 
as they hop from planet to celebration to planet to Death Star wreckage that somehow survived, <laughs> somehow survived uh, being, uh, you know, exploded that, to mm-hmm. a dagger that somehow inexplicably been forged in ancient times that predicted exactly how that debris would be formed. Then going to the Sith planets and fighting in the Ralph McQuarrie throne. Um, it just, it just did not, it, it oddly enough feels like it would work for a video game, but it does not feel like it's a compelling narrative that we're yeah. supposed to sit back and relax and enjoy. Yeah, I mean, it's, what you say video game, like it was a video game from Fortnite. Like, that was the way to learn about Palpatine, but, um, yeah, I agree with you. There's, there's, like, so much sputtering up against each other that, like, so many leaps that you have, and again, the time, which is, I mean, People think of stuff like that, of like, you know, in Metropolis, they work on uh, the the Fritz Lang movie, Metropolis, the characters work on metric time. So, if it's a minute until four, it'll be 3.99. And if it's midnight... It's ten o'clock. Like I, th- that's I like that that they have that in that movie, but yeah, there seems to be so many, and of course it's so hand waved away of like a long time ago in a galaxy far away. It's like that is the vaguest uh, location and time you could possibly give me. Like, is, when this is happening, is this Earth's past? Like, if, if they got to Earth, where would they be? Like, that whole thing? I think there was a comic about that, like, where Indiana Jones finds the fossils of Han Solo. Which is at least a neat idea. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and we have... Uh, there's movies like Solo and Rogue One. I don't get the huge appeal of Rogue One. That's that's one where people are like, "Oh, it's one of the best in the series." I'm like, it's essentially a movie about something. It's essentially a movie about. Delivering a flash drive to your friend. <laughs> uh, That's what happened to um, me. For me, I'd be a lot nicer in, in it and say that it feels like that kind of film on a Hollywood budget. And I mean that in the, yeah. most, uh, the most endearing of ways because, uh, you know, everything has had some careful thought to it that's been put in. Um I feel where they 
have all these dynamics, these characters, and um, they want to do something original while also keeping true to, oh, here we have uh, our uh, Tarkin, here we have our Vader. So they they established that hierarchy while also adding their own OCs with their... uh, (laughs) <laughs> with their, uh, uh, I, I forget the, the character's name. Um, uh, the we were this close, uh, uh character, but um, I'll probably remember his name by the end. No, not probably. <laughs> no, 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 that's the that's someone else. Um, so and then we have like the snarky uh droid taken to the umpteenth level with Alan Tudyk playing K2SO. Mm-hmm. Like, I love the characters, but. There, there isn't, there isn't too much uh, that I feel really makes it stand out on its own. It, it's a compliment to the to a New Hope. Um, you know, it's a nice. I, I don't know, like in culinary, it'd be a, probably a side dish, but it's not a main course on its own. Yeah, and. One of the things that I find odd, one of the things, there there are things that I like about the movie, like um, the ending where there's, they know they're going to die, and there's just like the wall of destruction from the uh, Death Star coming towards them. They just kind of sit back and embrace. Like that's a that's a neat ending. I like that. That's that's it both at both times an upbeat and downbeat ending. But other stuff in the movie is like the Peter Cushing and Carrie Fisher stuff pissed me off. That like stop doing that with dead people. I don't like that should be illegal. The the uh, gray area was um, I completely agree on Tarkin. Um, I was honestly hoping, you know, as a Farscape fan, to see uh, uh, Scorpius reprise uh, Tarkin, uh, like he did in Revenge of the Sith. Uh, but uh, I completely agree with Tarkin. But at this time, uh, uh, Carrie Fisher passed away a few days after the premiere. So Carrie Fisher granted that that you know granted that. So I'm I'm not against it, um, and I feel even with Rise of Skywalker, it was respectful enough. You know they used actual footage of Carrie, uh, just digitally altered, um, because they frankly weren't expecting such a sudden passing. That uh, I didn't mind it, but I I do see where we're getting into that gray area. But Tarkin. Uh, Peter Cushing, he he's he's been he hasn't been with us for a long while, and to bring him back in this way just felt so unnerving. Unnerving and disrespectful, because like when you see him looking out the window, and you just see the reflection, you're like, oh, that's how they're gonna do it. Like they can't have Peter Cushing in the movie, so like they're gonna kind of fudge it with the reflection. And he's always going to be looking out the window. Then he turns around and it's the living dead. It's just so bothersome. And that that's one, one of those things that 
genuinely pissed me off about that movie. Like, do, do not do that with actors anymore. Like, yeah, so I agree. Unless, um, unless you're like you have someone from their estate and you feel like it's not just done to make a quick buck like with Carrie Fisher I felt that probably would be the wishes just to see a story through but with Tarkin his story had ended in the beginning of the, of the series so we didn't need to see him and to see that on the one hand I can't deny that it is technically very uh uh, very effective just how the technology has come, but then it raises the question, should we do that? We, we have that Jurassic Park connection. Yeah, the, the Frankenstein thing. It, should we? Should we? Um, I think it would have been funny if Billy Lord had played uh, Leia in that movie. She turns around and it's Billy Lord holding the... Oh, that would have been wonderful. I would have loved um, that. I, yeah, again, with Carrie, I don't mind. Um, I know a lot of people find her, like, five seconds of screen time very, like, uncanny valley. But mm-hmm. I thought it was seamless, and it felt like, yeah, this is Leia, and I felt that was, that just touched me. Uh, um, I don't know if I saw the movie before or after Carrie had passed away, but I thought it was a, it was a nice touch. One of the things... You know, the, 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 it caused kind of a big ballyhoo was uh, they said, oh, there's going to be an Rise of Skywalker. For all you LGBTQ fans, there's going to be uh, a gay kiss. And we, it's so blinking you'll miss it. Like, who even cares at that point? What I hoped there was... What I hoped they were going to do was, you know, everyone comes back to that planet and Rose Tico and Billy Lord's character just lock eyes. It's like, come here. I I, I was hoping it would have been that, like, huh, those two, like... Hard disagree, because I know who that gay kiss should have been. Who? It should have been after... All after the battle's won, Poe just removes his helmets, and Finn does the same. They lock eyes. You know, he even gave him his jacket. Come on, how much yeah. more overt can you get? They wrap the jacket around each other. Finn grabs his jacket, just throws it over Poe, and reels it in. Come here, come here. <laughs> that's that's the kiss we deserved. Um, I, I'm not against Rose Teak, but like. But instead, we had uh, this side character from uh, um, from the past two movies who only had a few lines, and you know, I, I think the slug Claude gets more time mm-hmm. uh, than their kiss. Um, and you know, I, I feel that's a typical Disney thing where they say, "Oh, we're introducing uh, the first gay character," uh, or at least the publicity behind it—the first gay character, and it's something that can easily be cut out or something that could easily just be like, I don't know, I'm thinking of like LeFou and Beauty and the Beast, the quote-unquote live-action version where he just ends up with a male uh, when everyone's dancing uh, at this party and it can be easily recontextualized. So, I don't know, for me, it it just felt so cheap. Uh, 
And it always feels cheap when Disney tries to pull out, even with Strange Worlds or Buzz Lightyear. Um, I don't know, just it doesn't feel like they're reaching that uh, level of representation I think they want people to think they have. That's why uh, I liked going over to another big company. I liked Peacemaker a lot because you have Amanda Waller's niece who is this you know, short black woman and she has a lesbian partner and it's believable in that. Like, it's so, it, they do it, so it's like, they're a couple, so they have arguments. It's like, you know, what, what do we do then, just here, and then, and like, my favorite part is they have their fur babies. They're, they're doggies, their fur babies, and like, that is, that is a very gay couple thing that is really cute. But getting back to Star Wars um, and Disney, like, it, it, Disney's so afraid of doing that. Like, I mean, you, it, it, you the cracks are falling away, but, like, it's happening slowly. Like that scene in Love and Thunder where uh, Korg and Valkyrie are talking about their exes and... It's just, it's very obvious that she's bi, it's very obvious he's gay. And they make no kind of to-do about it. And I actually, I, I dug that scene. But, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, it just doesn't work with the, uh, what they did in uh, Rise of Skywalker. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. I mean, with Taika, uh, his significant involvement in our flag means death shows all the all the representation that uh, that uh, we, we probably saw in Love and Thunder. Uh, so I, I'm glad we got that. Um, it still felt like they were a little shy, but the audience can connect the dots, and they also. You know, they don't make a spectacle of it, like, uh, like you know, again, all these clickbaity Disney's first gay whatever, you know, that they have every year. My um, that fizzles out to nothing. My favorite thing is that they say, like, oh, it's Disney's first gay character. And I'm like, then what the hell were Scar and Ursula? Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> they yeah, were the first <laughs> Just everything uh, yeah, about no, those characters. That. Yeah, we, we, you could probably make an argument for several more characters. Uh, uh, just how many Disney villains seem a little queer-coded. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I, I absolutely get where they're coming from with that. Uh, anyone who pokes hole with that argument. Uh, like, even if you're saying, oh, well, do they have that last year with the more recent Disney stuff? Um, anyway, that's, that's a, I don't know, 
just feels so. I don't know. I I just find myself with absolute disdain for the whole uh, uh, representation that Disney shows. And well, mm-hmm. you know, I I don't know what else to expect, but you know, that's, yeah, that's what it is with that one. Um, I guess uh, that just leaves one major film to talk about. Solo. Solo. What are your, what are your thoughts? <laughs> It's a mess. I think it's a mess. And the fact that they had to film it like twice, basically, is like. That. Like, when you do that, it's. It's so important to see the long game of like, okay, are we doing what we're doing, what we need to do? The first time with the first huge amount of money that we're given. Like, you need, you need to do that. You need to keep on schedule, on budget. And I think of it like with the Whedon and Snyder Cut. Like, it, I think that might have been the downfall of the Snyderverse, the DC Snyderverse, is that... Dude, if you guys have if you guys had just let Snyder take a break, mourn the death of his daughter, and he can come back, and he can make this friggin' awesome behemoth of a movie, things would have been perfect. Like yeah. you, you maybe wouldn't have had a movie out that year, but who cares? you know, you would have gotten it all back with the Snyder Cut, which would have been the only cut. And it really... I think that's really where they shot themselves in the foot, and I think this is where Star Wars shoots itself in the foot. You know, you have so many things of, like, there, there's the idea of like not really needing prequels. Um, the thing of like, well, how did this come into be? And it's just like, how did this character get this hat? It's like, I'm assuming they either found it or bought it. That is my head cannon for a hat. It's like, it, it honestly is like Han Solo. I thought that was just his name. Like, there's a Luke Skywalker in the movie. Why can't there be a Han Solo? No, it has to be a designation that he's singular and solo. It's like, it's like the joke about, it's like the joke that Hampton Yunt said about uh, Solo. He says, says, I'm glad they made a billion-dollar movie that asked the question, hey, when he said he did the Kessel Run in under 12 parsecs, do you want to know if he was telling the truth? I'll save you some money. He kind of was telling the truth. He rounded up, but he was telling the truth. 
It's like, that's basically the movie, like. And there's, there's different other stuff, like. Michael K. Michael K. Williams was going to play the bad guy, like the terrorist Kasai master. And he was going to be a cat man. Like, very much Andrew Lloyd Webber type looking cat man. And then they went with Paul Bettany, and all that Paul Bettany has is little scars. The little luminescence. Yeah, and Michael K. Williams said, like, I've been in the business for a while. This is the most fucked up thing that's ever happened to me. Just like, they were going to completely cover this wonderfully charismatic, physically charismatic black man. And it's just like, oh, the white guy can just, you know, have lipstick on his face. <laughs> he just did that. And that, that that seemed like a weird choice. A, kind of a weird thing. Like, dude, I can see Paul Bettany as a cat man. You know, I want to... Wouldn't have been cool with that. <laughs> For me, uh, Solo's not a, a bad movie, but it, it is uh, one where, you, again, you get to see those cracks start to show. Uh, you know, you're talking about, like, Whedon versus Snyder Cut. I feel only one movie has, in recent memory, has done that kind of changeover uh, uh, command that, that really... Uh, did okay, and I emphasize okay. Uh, and that was probably Disney uh, uh, working with Ant-Man. Uh, you know, if they had kept Edgar Wright, it would have been brilliant. But they came out okay with what they got with Ant-Man. And mm-hmm. I felt they probably tried to redo that with whatever they had with Lord and Miller. Uh, you know, they obviously would have had a more comedic, but probably well-thought-out approach. I will never forgive Solo for cutting uh, my favorite Extended Universe characters, uh, uh, Tag and Bink. Oh yeah, Tag and Bink. The Rosencrantz and Guildenstern mm-hmm. of the uh, of Star Wars. Um, and that shows the kind of direction where they, they want to play play with these characters. They want to have fun. They want to have a Catman. They want to have all these mm-hmm. fun things. And I feel maybe in that way we could have gotten the Solo being a fun designation where it's meant to be a joke. Maybe this is told through an unreliable narrator like Lando poking fun at, at his friend Han. Oh, he got his name yeah. because he got a stupid designation. Mm-hmm. You know, this this could be this could be a fun, irreverent movie. And I don't think it's allowed to be that, um, unfortunately, because um, it does feel like that tag and bink vein where, you know, they are playing paying homage to, you know, all these little footnotes of Star Wars lore, like, you know, in the Tag and Bing comics, they're the first to bring up Chewbacca's medal just left behind on Yavin 4, uh, and Manny uh, Bothans is a singular person who dies to give them Death Star 2 information. Um, so I, I feel that's where all these connections come into play, where, you know, yes, we could have had the castle run, yes, we could have had the stupid solo explanation name, uh, drop thing, but um, they decide to play a more serious, and I think that's where this movie falls apart. They clearly have a lot of uh, 
humor plan like let's say lando skyping uh or blogging actually v blogging um and his many capes we have you know han solo saying you look great for your age to chewbacca um and the shower scene <laughs> which i don't think any star wars fan needed but it's there uh, so it felt like a lot of humor was there but they just kind of coded into this gray dull movie that's even seen mm-hmm. in the cinematography it's just this dull mess that um well i don't hate it's it's definitely lesser than what it could have been what, what i i know it's a cheap joke but uh there's a name that we gave to uh Phoebe Waller Bridges character, Wokebot Five Thousand, because <laughs> she, she is like, you know, revolution of the, of the droids, you know. Uh-huh. It, it's it's just, and of course you know she's she's a very feminine robot. She has, she's very hippie, like the way uh-huh. she's designed is very much like. 1980s girl action figure, like, why'd you design the hips differently from the dudes? <laughs> but, you know, that that's just... And is she still inside the... the, uh... The Millennium Falcon. The Millennium Falcon to this day? Like, with... <laughs> with, you know, all the... Disney characters inside of her, like mm-hmm. that, that, like the what, throw something like that in. It's like it's like one of those things of. Someone noted that there's, in X Men: The Last Stand, there's the interrogation scene. They're interrogating Mystique, and uh, Beast is watching, and uh, one guy was he was like, he was like, hmm. This seems interesting. You know, I could talk to her. Uh, we have made... I have made love to her, so... Uh, there's not going to be much of a barrier between us. I could probably get a lot out of her. <laughs> it's just like... I just really like that. We used to date. I could probably get something out of her. And I just like that, because... It's like... Yeah, the... Two timelines don't really fit together, do they? Um, but yeah, I think I think that's about it for the um, for this episode. Uh, you know, things that were good, things that were bad, things that could have been. But let's not forget about. Possibly the greatest new character of all time. Dr. Mandible. Dr. Mandible. Nah, for me it's gotta be Claude. And, you know, I thank this series for showing us the importance of Hans Dice. He was not just some guy who bought any old dice off the rack. No, Mm -hmm. they are deeply sentimental. And a thing that nerds in the 1970s only just noticed. (laughs) Uh, 
thank you for being my guest on this episode, Jesse. Um, do you have any any last words? <sighs> Let's see, Claude. Just Claude. I'm glad to be your co-pilot in this, just like Claude, in episode nine. Out of nowhere, obtrusive, and somehow oddly brilliant. Okay. See you, everyone.